This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. In 2020, his 10th year of releasing music, Perfume Genius, aka Los Angeles artist Mike Hadrius, released Set My Heart on Fire Immediately, his resplendent, triumphant fifth album. Featuring earthy, danceable pop music, as well as his closest skirmishes yet with more experimental, ambient sounds, it was Hadrius's most embodied, most powerful piece of work yet. This year saw the launch of the Perfume Genius Substack newsletter, an outlet for all of Hadrius's art that he hasn't shared over the past few years, from old demos to paintings to supernatural war fanfiction. Last week, he caught up with the fader Shad D'Souza to discuss his substack, Set My Heart on Fire Immediately, and his music for the 2019 dance piece The Sun Still Burns Here. Perfume Genius, welcome to the Fader Podcast. Hi. Thanks so much for being here. The reason I wanted to interview you is because you've started a substack as kind of like an outlet for other creative endeavors. Can you talk a little about why you started that and kind of what you're using it for and that kind of thing? I mean, for a bunch of different reasons. I guess essentially every time I make a record, there's a lot of things that are left behind. I write and record a lot, but very few of them end up making it to the album. But I still have a lot of songs and ideas that feel shareable, but don't really work in an album format and I'm making videos for them still and thinking about them. And sometimes they're things that I even personally listen to a lot, which is very strange. I don't listen to my records at all. I think that'd be strange if I did. But I listen to some of my demos because they're so full to me. And they capture like a, a specific energy so well. Maybe I couldn't expand on it or maybe it doesn't make sense as a record track, but I still want to share them. So that was one of the ideas. And also I make videos for them. I wanted to be able to share those. And then I wanted it to be a place that I could talk about making things a little bit more, which ended up being a little more difficult than I thought. I think I make things because I don't know how to talk about it. (laughs) So that part isn't going as well, but I'm still going to push to try because it's something that's really helpful to me. And then it's also a place for me to... um, do stupid shit, which is the 90%, the rest of my brain, you know, it's just being stupid, but in a very intentional, um, intense way. <laughs> yeah. And so far it's kind of, yeah, as you kind of said, it's like not just been out there for writing, but for kind of visual art and the, all this kind of like other stuff. How does kind of non-musical art figure into your life? And like, do you have quite a significant archive of work beyond the music you've released? I wish I had a bigger archive. I don't really save a lot. I mean, this is a way for me to have a document of things because I kind of just do stuff on, you know, like I'm right now I'm recording this audio for this interview on a really old laptop that is probably going to die really soon and I haven't backed anything up on it. <laughs> it's probably all going to just go. 
and there's years worth of music that's happened to me multiple times. I don't know why I don't document. My mom laminates things, so sometimes I'll send her stuff and she'll laminate them and keep them, but I'm not very good at it. But I did find some old paintings that I made that I that I liked and I, I shared those recently on the Substack. Also, I, I just make things all the time and I'm and I like I like stuff. I mean, that's just how I get by, I guess, is listening to music and watching movies and reading and swear I get a lot. Why is now the right time for you to kind of like be sharing this kind of ephemeral well not ephemeral but you know what i mean this kind of like extra art and like why why is substack the right medium i mean some of it i guess by the nature of how we're talking about it seems like it's extra but it doesn't feel inconsequential or something it's just more i think everything's become more formal too you know i will write a song and then i go to the studio and then we record it and then i wait like a year and then there's a big fuss around everything. And this is a way for me to share stuff without that. I mean, it's a little naughty even, honestly, because it's gone okay so far, but I feel like some people are going to be mad at me about how easily I'm just putting stuff out. <laughs> but I miss that. Like in the beginning when I was writing songs, I was just writing them. They were all one takes. And then I would make a video for it. And then I would just upload it and share it. And it was very rewarding to me. And it felt like how it should be done. I love the how form I like making big ass music videos and I like making the records that I do and I couldn't without that format without all my people that I collaborate with none of those things would happen and they wouldn't be as magical as they are. But there's something I really miss about just sharing things to other people directly without having to go through any other channel. And it's a way to do that. I mean Twitter is a way to do that with like a thought <laughs> everything else kind of has its own identity you know there's other ways to share things but they're always framed by the the platform and subsec just feels like a, a way not like its own identity really like it i get to make it up and i get to share things directly you mentioned your twitter and i guess anyone who kind of follows that it will almost kind of like not be surprising that you have a lot of personal writing or that you do write kind of creatively because I guess your Twitter is kind of like quite literary and quite interesting kind of syntactically. This is maybe a stupid question, but like, do you consider tweeting to be an extension of your art or a kind of writing art form? Sometimes. Even like having a conversation with you, I'm never going to be able to tell you exactly what I mean. I'm just not very good at it. But with framing like a song or some sort of container, I'm able to do it much better whether I'm right or not like I at least feel like I am communicating what what I meant and it's containing a whole bunch of stuff that I wouldn't be able to articulate in another way and so sometimes Twitter feels like that in a more I don't know why I keep using the word stupid but stupid is is good <laughs> and also there's some really funny people on there and some really creative strange fun people it's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse over the years but there's still some people that are just weirdos and make me laugh and are wicked smart on the platform you have this kind of patricia lockwood thing going on and it feels sometimes that your twitter is kind of so so big you have a million followers on twitter and then like a tenth of that on instagram for example, do you ever kind of meet people who only know you from Twitter or do you feel like your your Twitter is some kind of like separate entity? Um, I don't know.
because I will post about my music and nobody's really um, interested in that, <laughs> you know. But then I'll post a thing about like alien, like queefs or something, and it's you know it'll go through the roof. And then, kind of the other day, something kind of random happened. You published this extremely funny and also extremely beautifully written subsect piece, I guess, supernatural fan fiction about having sex with every character from Supernatural and all these Supernatural fans kind of kind of came for you on Twitter? Yeah. I mean, I knew that there was like a community and I knew, I know that fandoms are fucking crazy. I mean, I've never read any fan fiction and I have seen the show, but I'm not like super into it. It's just like I wrote the first sentence, like I've had sex with every, I was just an idea. It was almost like a tweet, you know what I mean? Like I've had sex with every cast and crew member of the tv show supernatural yeah just kept going and i mean that's how i always make things like i don't really know what i'm doing until i'm doing it i just keep going where it wants me to go but i also knew that i was trolling i guess you could call it i don't even know what it is it's shit posting these are all terms that like the children have have taught me and then the children after i posted that story they they showed me all these new words for what kind of fan fiction it is i had no idea it's self-insert, which is where you put yourself in, in it, right? And then it's like R something, RPF. I think it's where you're not, you don't write about the character, but you write about the actor playing that character, which is also what I did. And then VOR, which is when you are ingested by, by someone, which is also what I wrote about. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering, could you read a portion of that piece or, or any of your subsect pieces? Yeah, I can read some. Well, I guess I'll give a little context for where we're going to start in the story. I don't know who's listening to this, but in the story, I'm working at Zales, which is like a really popular jewelry store in malls in America. And Jensen Ackles, who's the actor from Supernatural, plays one of the like model brother guys, comes in and has a seizure, and I go to comfort him. And then he starts to consume me, and I will start around that consuming, I guess. I was no longer in the middle of my shift at sales. The entire mall seemed to vanish around us until just he and I remained. Jensen cupped my stuck hands at his face and drew them closer. Slowly, but without any strain, he took every one of my fingers down his throat. I felt no pressure from his jaw. His mouth gave without effort and kept giving until he had taken me to the elbow on each side. The arrangement should have brought stress to my joints as well, but I felt no such thing. I seemed to be pooling my flesh arranging seamlessly as he gathered me deeper still. Slick, he sucked me up to the shoulders before widening until the crown of my head was too pulled in. Miraculously, I could see. My eyes open, I saw each tender vein of his esophagus as I made my way further down. His teeth gently grazed my back as he swallowed, easy still until stopping at the belt of my jeans. This was the only point of tension. I felt him navigate the buckle with his tongue and bottom incisors until it unlatched. My denim fell away. Briefly, I imagined it meeting my rag on the floor. Brought back to the moment, lit as if by some divine headlamp, I continued to slide and watched as I entered Jensen's upper stomach. That was pretty good, right? Yeah, it was really good. I would probably listen to like some kind of broadcast where you, where you read out the pieces as well. I think it adds something to it. I love that forever now, some people will just think I truly meant all that. And that I, I'm just a huge fan of Supernatural. And that 
this is just something I cooked up on my brain because it's really satisfying to my like urges. And I mean, in a way it kind of is, but it's just not as specific to that show. I mean, I definitely was therapeutic or something. I was getting something out of it to keep writing as much as I did. And then if I do it again, like I'm just like doubling down on that and just creating more potential people to just associate me truly with supernatural fan fiction. Did you feel a sense of kind of like when when all these supernatural fans were kind of being like chill out? Like, did you kind of get that sense of like, I wish people would just take the joke? Or do you kind of, I guess you described it as a kind of like trollish gesture. Like, do you just enjoy any reaction? I'm not a very good troll. I just hope everybody is getting a kick out of it and thinking things are funny. And so if people are not, then sometimes I get a little sensitive because I just want people to have fun. Also, I mean, I'm kind of weirdly serious while I'm writing it, too. I'm very intentional while I'm writing. I'm like, um, I don't really know what the ingredients are to that or the ingredients that I'm using to cook up all this stuff, but I'm um, oddly kind of serious about it. (laughs) There's a lot going on, I guess. But in, in essence, I just think it's really funny. You mentioned being a fan of the show, and I was reading an interview with you from six or seven years ago where you were kind of talking about being a fan of Gossip Girl and kind of like making gags about how you'd love a song placed in Gossip Girl. And then last week, Without You was in the reboot. Did you watch? Like, was that a big kind of moment for you? I haven't seen that episode yet, but I'm looking forward to it. I love any teen drama. I don't know what the networks are across the globe, but the CW is like the main one here. They do like Riverdale, which is fucking insane. Because they're not playing games. There's a lot of shows like they try to act like they're not just melodramas because, you know, some old guy with a beard or something's in it. But they're doing the same shit as all the teen dramas. He's just just boring as hell. And it's like in the Pentagon or something. It's still drama, bitch. Your music has moments of levity, but it's it's rarely, quote unquote, kind of like funny. Do you feel like there's a more humorous side of you that kind of begs for an outlet? I think so. Everything's coming from the same place. It's just different filters. It's essentially the same exact thing. I mean, I was just talking about this, like, there's some music, like Juju, who I love, where their songs are so intense and visceral and over the top that one day I'll listen to it and it'll be, like, really devastating to me. And it'll make me really sad. And then the next day I'll listen to the exact same song and think it's really campy and funny The song hasn't changed. It's just my reckoning with it has. And so I think I just have a lot going on, like everybody, and I just pick which thing feels the best (laughs) way to process things at the moment. I would say 90% of the time I'm just, like, laughing, and then I'm really not, so... (laughs) You seem like someone who's kind of interested in making art that's kind of flexible in its use. I think, for example, of like The Sun Still Burns Here, which was a dance piece that you composed with the choreographer Kate Wallach. How does something like that that kind of forces you to work across mediums kind of change the perspective on the on the music you make? Well, with each record I go in, I try to level up in some way or just push my capabilities, like push where my voice can go, what I can talk about, what's available to me. You know, I just try to shake it up so that I take advantage of, of where I'm at now because I'm every year I have met people and, and done more and I can use that. When I write, I can keep that all in mind, but I can also dream up new potentials. 
but you still get in a routine. And the older I get, the more it's harder to, to break yourself out of it. But then I kind of chose to work on the dance because I knew it would force me to, knowing I was going to be super uncomfortable and awkward and it was going to be difficult. And it was all those things. Almost immediately, I was just like rolling around on the ground with people to music and it did exactly that. I started looking at all the dancers and seeing how much access they had to their bodies and how they thought about other bodies and how they thought about space and how it seemed like writing to me in the way that I feel when I'm writing music, but just with this whole other framing. And I wanted to do that. Like I'll never be able to do it the way they do, but I, I wanted to have as much access as possible. And so I tried really hard to get it. And I just hope I keep doing that with things. I hope I keep doing that with my music. It's the same thing as we just said, like 90% of the time I'm laughing and then 10% I'm crying. I feel like 90% of the time I'm detached and anxious and kind of paralyzed. And then 10% of the time I'm just like really riling against everything and really pushing myself and really trying to break through my instincts, which are to kind of just leave. <laughs> so I guess trying to find a way to stay and have that be enjoyable to me and kind to everybody else and fun. Since working on the Sunstill Burns here, have you been driven to, I guess, try and find other outlets like that that kind of force you out of your comfort zone and into kind of a space that will kind of encourage that kind of reflection that it, it gave you? I've been wanting to, but I haven't done that. I still have people that I dance with. It's been something that's kind of fun because it's like a creative practice that essentially is just for me, just because of all that's coming from it is I'm going to this place with somebody else. I mean, eventually we might make things into performances or whatever, but it's not really something to be shared, but it kind of informs everything else. But other than that, especially like with COVID and last year, I haven't been doing anything. I haven't made anything for a long time. You know, I can feel myself starting to to build in the background, but in order to follow through, I need to really be intentional and take care of myself more and work and blah, blah, blah. I just can't bring myself to do it. I'm still in this kind of pandemic-y, paralyzed zone. I'm kind of half in and out. Like I'm half back in the world, but I'm half still hiding. It's a weird, weird place to be, but it's also technically where everyone is right now. Out of interest, what happened to the music for the Sunstill Bands here? Because you re released a couple of songs and then... It's still there. And I wrote all that music to be a record, you know. I wanted it to be an album so that people would want to listen to on Spotify or whatever. Not just this sort of audio accompaniment to the dance that is textural or something. I mean, there's there's songs on it that are 10 minutes long, which I've never done before. But I try to really jam-pack those those minutes and make them so that they could carry you if you're just on your headphones. Optimally, I would hope that everybody could be at the dance. Optimally, everybody would be in it with me, but I am going to release the music. Yeah, like Eye in the Wall, which is yeah, a, t a 10 minute song. It still feels so intensely kind of different from everything else you've composed. Bye. 
added getting into that mode of having to make basically dance music like that song is, is almost like a house track or something how did you navigate that i guess it was both things it was like liberating to not have like a pop song structure to try to make something in but it was also how do i make something without it <laughs> honestly like i me and kate the choreographer made a map that was emotional and there's some movement in it but it was more like an arc of feeling and a time like we're going to be in the toilet for 13 minutes energetically so i'm like okay so what does the 13 minute toilet song sound like i have no idea and then i just you know i guess started vibing or something and a lot of it was through improvisation at first with me and blake mills and alan in the studio some at home and it was hard. I mean, some of the songs on the dance album were by far the hardest songs that I've ever made. And the hardest in the studio where I was like crying and fighting. And they, even Eye on the Wall was really, really hard to make. And it's one of my favorite songs that I've ever made in the end. So it was a really strange combination of being really free, but also feeling technically very put upon. Like it had to be a certain time. And it had to be captivating throughout. I couldn't just let a drone ring out or have it be some textural thing. I mean, I could, but I really didn't want to do that. In a way, I kind of just got to go to this like made-up world and stay there for a long time, which was very satisfying. But also the math was harder because it was, I don't know, I guess technical in a way that I wasn't used to working within. It's kind of like the supernatural thing. Like I'm, It's funny once, but it could go either way if I do it again. It really could. And so some of my songs, like they're really devastating at three minutes. But if I put like 30 more seconds on it, it'd be everybody would be like, oh my God, shut up. So it's hard sometimes, you know? How has your approach to collaboration or like the boundaries of who you collaborate with kind of changed over the years? Because like on this most recent record, you have all these collaborators who you don't immediately think of when thinking about kind of like indie music, like people like Sam Gendel and like Jim Keltner, who like even in themselves are too incredibly disparate figures in in terms of what they're doing and who they are i just work with people that i like and i work with people that the people i like like i love blake i love the way he thinks about music i like the way he plays and how respectful he is to me even though we approach things very differently sometimes we want the same things and i love seeing that in the studio too how the way i feel about the song is like usually very emotional but very confusing. It's just this headspace, this like moment in time that I've conjured up, but everybody reckons with it differently. And I like seeing how people interpret it. But at the same time, they have to meet you somewhere energetically too. And it's a really hard combination to find where people can just technically go there because they're good musicians, but then also energetically kind of meet you somewhere without very much explanation. So it's beyond just sharing the song i'm lucky to have those musicians because that's what they're pros at all of those guys like sam could hear what i was doing and how to do it and just make that happen so quickly i mean it's this really insane mix of like technical capability and just like being cool (laughs) like sam is just cool he's just a really cool guy do you know what i mean He's probably one of the coolest people I've ever met, like as a cool person, Sam Gendel, for sure. That's hard because usually cool people don't do anything. They don't have to or they don't care enough, you know, to be good at something. Who cares? It's not cool. 
to like try hard at something that's stupid you know is what you want to get out of your own art and like I guess by extension all art is that kind of different now to when you first started making music because I guess you're just over a decade in now in terms of kind of commercially releasing music I mean it doesn't feel like it is but then I'll listen back and it's like oh she's mature you know what I mean like my last record is like oh it's mature maturity there are some moments that like so like understated and sophisticated. Do you know what I mean? And I wasn't, it's not like I was trying to do that. I felt like I was coming from the same place I always do. And I always think that I'm like super angsty and all this, but some of the songs are kind of cozy. I think it's the same. It's just selfishly motivated. Like I'm trying to conjure up like an alternate world, you know, where I just feel like I can fucking relax for a minute. I mean, it's not always relax, but kind of. Sometimes relaxing to me is just letting everything be really shitty and not like pushing against it anymore, just like letting it be bad. <laughs> like that's kind of really relieving. And so sometimes my songs go, if they're like darker, it's it's kind of, what if instead of going to a dark place making me really nervous, what if I got power out of it? What if it, it turned me on? What if, I'm sorry that I said turned me on, but like what if it like, <laughs> what if it like riled me up or I don't know, you know, kind of flipping things that feel itchy and either making it itch in a way that I like or removing it. And finally, you're about to turn 40. Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do milestone ages like that feel significant to you or more kind of like arbitrary? And like, how how are you feeling about it? They don't. (laughs) I think someone tweeted about how I'm almost 40 and then I like searched it and I found like 50 tweets about how I'm 40 years old, and then it became almost like a meme for myself, to myself. I don't know how to explain it. And so it is funny to me, but it also, you know, like I am 40, like I'm getting older. I just don't feel like it really. And even from far away, I look really young, and then up closer, like, oh, there's something going on. But I feel like that even about myself. Like, I feel little. I'm tiny, too. Like, I'm a tiny person. I've always looked very young. And I've always looked confusing, you know, like, is it a man or a, a woman or the young or old? Like, nobody could ever tell. And I think that's still true, but from, like, a distance. But up close, it's changed. And up close, I think I've changed. Like, I don't, as much as I say it's the same, I still feel older and I feel more balanced. I feel more mature and sophisticated in a, in a lot of ways. But I'm just equally just dumb in the exact same way. For so long, I guess I just think of aging as a funny thing too sometimes when I I frame it like that sometimes to me. And then other times, you know, the other 10%, it is sad just because I think when I was younger, I thought I was going to do it again. I don't know. I thought I was going to be young again. I thought I was going to be a kid again. And I still think that could happen, honestly. I don't know if I'll keep an awareness (laughs) but um, I never thought about it before. Never thought about my body or getting old or getting sick or my parents getting older and blah, 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 all this stuff that happens. It's weird. Especially when you do a job where like you're kind of in an extended adolescence, which I would have held on to no matter what, even if I was still working at like a department store, I'm sure I would still be a little bitch. But (laughs) I've like extended... (laughs) This making music and 
the whole world around it is sort of everybody's like a little kid still. Cool. I think that's all for me. Thank you so much for taking the time to record an episode of the podcast. Yeah, nice talking to you. That was Perfume Genius in conversation with the faded Shard D'Souza. You can find Mike Hadrius' new newsletter at perfumegenius.substack.com. Our engineer is Tony Giambroni, and our associate producer is Salvatore Mackey. We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. Remember to follow the Fader interview wherever you listen to podcasts, and keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Fader interview. Goodbye until then.